Good morning, everybody. I'm very proud of you. You came to church. You'd be congratulated. And those who chose to enjoy the 70-degree weather with not a cloud in the sky on a day where they lost an hour of sleep, they're at home. But there are consequences. Now, I always used to tell people, you know, if you don't come out to this meeting, you know, you're home watching TV, your TV will blow up. And uh, John Keating tells me that we were having a prayer meeting one time, and he was home watching the TV, and I had said that, and his TV actually blew up while we were having a prayer meeting. So I'm not wishing anything negative on all those who are enjoying the weather that I wish I was out enjoying, but, uh, but thank you for being here. I just got back last night from um, Puerto Rico. This is the season where I do these little two-day seminars uh, with MFI, and and uh, so we took off, I took off yesterday in San Juan about 11 o'clock in the morning your time, and I got home about 11 o'clock at night your time. So it's a little bit of a long trip out there in the, in the Caribbean. Uh, you may be wondering what's going on in the island of, 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 uh, of Puerto Rico. Uh, a lot of people think it's another nation. just want to educate you. These are United States citizens. I have a real heart for people who live in territories of the United States because they really are the one people who are citizens of the United States who have... Uh, Basically, they have taxation without representation, and that, uh, uh, like, they can't vote for the president if they're on the island. Now, if they want to f- get residency over in Florida, they can, but, uh, but uh, they, 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 they get the worst of all the, all the parts of the, of the system sometimes. As you know, the hurricane came through there and uh, devastated the island and was out power for a number of weeks and without water and without food. And uh, communication was all shut down. They had one AM radio station that was playing where the people could understand what actually was happening in other parts of the island. And, uh, you know, sometimes the the news only captures, uh, you know, a glimpse sometimes of what things take place, both good and bad. You know, so they can paint it, you know, to be much more destructive than it is. And it, it's bad. I mean, it, 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 uh, it, it hit the island. About 50% of the island still probably doesn't have power up in the villages and the hills and, and some of those more remote, remote places. But at the same time, there's always positive side to things. And uh, when I got there, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I thought, um, I went by myself. I've taken Matt and Lisa with me, and I've taken, I've taken uh, Tamar and, and Pete with me, and... Uh, I've taken Phil and Shanda. It's kind of a thing where Bob takes a couple to Puerto Rico. I always take Sue with me. I went by myself. I thought I'd be sleeping in a hammock. No hotels. There was no hotels. FEMA workers fill the hotel. So we got this Airbnb, uh, you know, house and where you, where you call it. You know, you rent. I've never been in one of those houses before. It was a mansion. It was a really nice gated community. But everybody, the airport was packed. The restaurants were packed. The traffic was packed. And they're driving like Puerto Ricans, just like they've always driven like Puerto Ricans, trying to kill you. And... Uh, and uh, things are going well. And because of all the government money that's come in to, re- to, to reconstruct what was destroyed, the economy's had an incredible boost and in, in moving forward. And I kind of wanted to interview pastors, what was it like? But I appreciated the leadership of the Puerto Rican re- leadership. We, we don't want our people being victims. We want a, a message of victory, and we want to get moving forward. And the, church, it's, the church is ours, it's the church's time. The church shined like no one's business. Because what happened, we came in there with all this stuff, but we didn't understand the road structures, the topography, and it was the church 
that got FEMA into places and they got the, the stuff distributed out to places where it needed to go. If it wasn't for the church, all our workers and our government workers would have gotten stuck on the island not knowing kind of where to go and what to do. So, you know, God always has a, a way of shining in the places of darkness, doesn't he? And uh, it's just good to be back. So I don't know what time it is in my body clock time with uh, man messing with time and, and uh, air, you know, jet lag and everything else, but I am here. So if I say anything stupid today, uh, it is, uh, it's not me. All right. <laughs> We're on a, you will join us, entitled uh, Holy Spirit. And by the way, I hope that you will join us Wednesday for a day of fasting. You ever say fast? Yes. Okay, that means you go without food. We're going to seek God for the day, and we're coming together at 5.30. We're praying, and for one hour, we're, we're, we're strict on it. We end at 6.30 right on the dot. We start at 5.30 right on the dot, and, uh, well, we don't always start at 5.30 right on the dot. Well, we try, but uh, we do end on time, respecting everyone's time, go out and eat together, and just, we have that time of agreement. Since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we, we want a, a you know, we want a, a deeper relationship with them. I think it would be a good time for you to join us on that fast. You will not die. Say to the person next to you, you will not die. You will not die. You will not die. Okay. You think you will. You can actually go 60 days without dying. We're only asking you to go 20 hours. So here we go. So join us. We're on this series called The Holy Spirit. And uh, as we taught last week, and, you know, sometimes I... A lot of you have very complex schedules, and I respect that. And I know that if we just kind of shove theology and stuff off to a corner of a class, I'm really, there's going to be a lot of people who are never going to get any theology because you're not going to be able to take a class. So I, I do get a little teachy sometimes to break things down, but I, I feel like I have to. I feel that you, you need to get foundational tools in, in your hand to be able to look at the scriptures. We talked about the Holy Spirit last week, and we taught last week about that we believe in what's called the Trinity. That word is not in the New Testament, the word Trinity. You won't be able to find it in the Bible in a concordance. It was actually first used by a church, uh, early church father by the name of Tertullian, the first person to actually use that particular term. But it, 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 it divides and explains what the New Testament does declare. And that is that we believe in, in, in one God who is three persons. He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And these three persons are distinguishable. In other words, who did Jesus pray to? Did he pray to himself? He got on his knees and said, Father, and he stood up and he said, yes. Okay, that would be kind of weird to see that, okay? Was he a ventriloquist when he came out of the water? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, no, he, you know, he's talked to a father. There's, they were distinguishable. So what came upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as John saw a dove descending on Jesus? And so we see this throughout the, the New Testament. They're distinguishable, but they're indivisible. They, they can't, they, they're indivisible. They cannot be divided. Okay, they move as one. Our Lord, our God, is one God, not three gods. And you say, well, Bob, three, one, one, three. You know, Paul said it this way, great is the mystery of godliness. We, in, our, in our human limitations, we can't fully explain the dimensions of God. But he has expressed himself in three persons, and he is three persons. Today, there's a physical man actually represented you in heaven. The man, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. One mediator between God and man. The man. Christ Jesus. Now, isn't it good on the day of judgment, we're going to be judged by someone who's walked in our shoes? Okay, you should say yes to that. All right, that's the answer. That's the correct answer. Yes. We are, we, we, the man. But he said, I'm going to be with you always. Well, how can he be in heaven physically 
Don't make Jesus ghostly, because he's the God man. And how can he be with us even to the end of the earth, the end of the age, wherever you may go? Because of the Holy Spirit. And so we see these things all the time. The Father and I will come to you. I only do what the Father shows me. The Father is working, I am working. The Father and I are one. Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the foundation of the earth. So you see this all through the New Testament. I know it gets to be like a puzzle, but but what we want to appreciate is this person called the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of believers that I'm going to call binatarian. They think they're Trinitarian, but they're Binitarian. In other words, they're really into the Father sending the Son. And that's really true. The Father sent the Son into the earth to, to, to die for the sins of the earth, to show them who God was, to, to reveal the very nature of God and to take on the sacrifice for my sins and, and the world's sins and your sins. And, and uh, they kind of get stuck. And so it's all about people getting saved. And we're really excited about that. But he, but he wants... But, but God himself, he wants to help us in this mission of getting people saved. He wants to lead us to people that need to get saved. He wants to open up their hearts of people we want to see get saved. He wants to, he wants to transform them. He wants to restore them. He wants to do things for us to help us on this particular mission. He wants to give us some, some, some juice. Some, let me use a kind of a modern term, dope. He wants to give us some dope. So we can get moving forward and fulfill this thing that he's called us to do. Now, I want us to get the big picture. This is always a concern with me. A lot of Christians are excited about what was taught, but they can't fit it to the big picture. We need to get God's big picture, what he ultimately wants to do, and then we can see the, how this part, how it fits the big picture. If I got the big picture, I can see how it fits. And a lot of people can't interpret their personal encounters which are very legitimate with God and how it fits to this total plan of what God's doing. You're going to become more of a mature believer if you do. And so this is important. But I want to start by reading Acts chapter 3, 13, I mean chapter 3, 17 to 21. It's going to be on the screen here in a second. And let me just give you the background. There was a man crippled for, for many, many years from since childhood at the gate of the temple. Peter and John come in. He wants money. Peter says, I don't have money, but what I have, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so this man that everybody knew was a cripple and, and unable to walk, was leaping and jumping and twirling all around in the temple. A crowd comes, and Peter, just being politically correct, said, this man was healed by the name of Jesus, whom you guys killed. <laughs> That's what he basically said. This guy, this miracle was done right now by the very guy that you killed, that you killed, but God raised up. Now that makes me feel really bad. I kill a guy, and then God raises him up. I saw this spoof one time. It was Jesus and the Terminator. It was on, it was on YouTube. And the Terminator was at Jesus, and he kept mowing down everybody. Jesus was trying to arrest Jesus. Jesus kept raising him up from the dead, and the guy kept killing him, and Jesus kept raising him up. But, but basically, that's, I don't know why I brought that analogy out. It wasn't in my notes. But the very guy they killed raised this man up. And so they're kind of convicted because they had killed God, okay? I always like kind of getting the spirit of the, of the story. And so Peter says this. He says, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. That was nice of him to say that after he said he killed him. 
Because what Peter's about to tell them is that this is a part of Jewish fulfillment. It's not just he, there's no other name under heaven where, where we can get saved by. It's not just Jesus was the son of God, was God himself. But this was a part of Jewish, doesn't mean as much fulfillment. Now, you and I living in Hazeldale or Battleground or wherever, this doesn't mean as much to us. But you've got to put yourself 2,000 years ago, this is everything. If I'm a Jew, this thing has to fit in prophetic fulfillment. Or, or it doesn't make any sense to me, because that's what I was looking for, looking towards. And so Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance as, you, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, by the mouth of all his prophets of the Old Testament, that, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Isn't that just cool that your sins get blotted out? Do they get half washed? No, they get all, they get all washed. I was doing the purple book with somebody, and they said every sin, every sin, I mean, obviously they were feeling guilty about a particular sin that they were committed. I said every sin. Your sins may be blotted out. Now notice this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. In other words, the second coming of Jesus is what he's talking about. Now, it's it's interesting, there's a sequence here. First, the Holy Spirit comes to the earth. He comes to his people. He comes to the church and we experience the presence of heaven now. And it comes before the second coming of Jesus. Someone said it this way. Jesus first comes to his church before he comes for his church. And then he goes on to say that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive or heaven must hold back until the time for restoring all things. What things are going to be restored? about what God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He just didn't die for our sins so that they might be blotted out, which is great. But he came and he wants to refresh us with God's spirit. And that Jesus was being held back until everything the Old Testament prom- prophets prophesied that God would restore would get restored and then Jesus would come. Some people are looking at you know something that Russia's doing, or China's doing, or North Korea, which seems to be a very schizophrenic situation right now. But uh, and then there's the sign, there's a sign, there's a sign, there's a sign. No, the Bible has a, talks about a lot of things God is going to restore. And we've got to look at the positive things in place, because he's in the restoring business. And Peter says these things are going to take place. Now, the fact that we could be refreshed by the Holy Spirit, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The fact that we can do that means that God was restoring to the Jews what is commonly known as the Shekinah glory, or when they had the pillar of, of, of the cloud and the, and the pillar of fire in the Old Testament, when God would, would show himself and manifest himself in the temple, God was going to bring the glory of his presence back to his people. Now, if you can see that that was part of Jewish fulfillment, that the Messiah would bring that, this next verse, which every good Pentecostal believer knows, makes a lot more sense. And that is this, by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, this is not an exclusive experience, dreams, visions, and prophecy. That's just a kind of a sample of what would happen when someone's experiencing the Holy Spirit. But my point is this. The Old Testament prophesies that the New Test, the, the thing that's going to mark the New Testament is an encounter with the Spirit of God where we're transformed. We hear his voice. He communicates to us. He does something with us. He gives us power in his presence, and he moves and shakes and rattles, and, he, he, and we have an experience with the Holy Spirit. And so if I don't have an experience with the Holy Spirit, I'm not really experiencing what God's Testament the New Testament experience to be. And so you can say that the New Testament period is the age of the Spirit or the period of the Holy Spirit. Now, this means this, that God is restoring. There's four things I want you to just grab a hold of in your mind that God is restoring. The first thing God's restoring, God's restoring lost communion or lost relationship. Lost face-to-face relationship where we talk to God and he, he talks to us. You know, the New Testament is not about, you know, we became rebellious and we're crooked and twisted and, you know, we, our fallen nature is evil. We got all those things listed out in Romans chapter one and we're in danger of hell and God's got to come down and save us from the fire. That's a, the New Testament, the Bible is about God restoring a relationship face to face with men. That's why it's, pro, that's, that's the problem. That's what we came to inclusion is a problem with these heaven and hell plays. You know, we kind of play, you know, like where, you know, where everybody's going to heaven or hell and we have a pit and somebody plays the devil that intercessors are praying over so he doesn't become demonized playing the devil and, he, you know, he comes out. <laughs> looks like something from the Kiss Band and, and uh, you know, and this fog machines are going and someone gets drugged, kicking and screaming into hell and we throw out an altar call and, you know, and they, and they just come running up because they don't want to burn. There's just something incomplete about that whole thing. There's, where's Jesus? Jesus doesn't want people to get drugged into hell. Now, there is a place called hell, but it's not because he sends them there. It's because they choose to be there. His heart is to restore a face-to-face communication with them. I mean, what would happen on my first date with Sue? And Sue said, well, wait, how come you decided to ask me out? Because this guy says, I'm going to burn in hell if I don't. (laughs) But you're cute. There's just something incomplete in this thing. Now, there's a place for the fear of the Lord. Don't get me wrong. But it's all incomplete without relationship. You know, it says in Genesis, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They they had a, heaven was on earth. They had a face-to-face relationship with God. So the second thing God wants to restore, and there's four things I want to give you, is he, he's restoring the lost presence of God. In other words, we lost God himself. We lost God himself. Now, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But you're talking about where we become conscious of God, aware of God. We're interacting with God. And God reveals himself that he's here present with us. And it says here that after man's sin, he, he drove out the man. He drove out the man. And, 
at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every, every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now we see in the Bible, we see that the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they, they have these temporary encounters with God. God appears to them in a dream. Like Jacob, you know, he sees these ladder, these angels going down and up and down. We see Abraham, the Lord appears to Abraham, and he has these appearances. We see in early Israel's history a, a pillar of fire and a cloud of smoke. We see the prophets, we see this term, the hand of the Lord was on them, and they prophesy a message. But if you'll notice, it's sporadic, and you'll know it, it's not, it's not reciting. In the New Testament, he comes to dwell and to reside with us. He's gonna restore something to us that was lost. His presence with his people. I mean, Christmas, we sing it. Emmanuel, God with us. And the Bible says that we beheld his glory, the, only, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And, he, and the word became human, became flesh, and he tabernacled or he made a temple among us. In other words, God hung out with the human race. We, and now through the Holy Spirit, he hangs out with the human race. He's restoring something. He's restoring relationship. The third thing he's restoring is the lost image of God. The lost image of God. We, Paul, speaking of being born again, you know, where the Spirit of God comes into my life and gives me a new nature. He describes what happens to us as believers in Christ. He's assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, him being Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Now, your old self is your old nature. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't um, reform your old nature. You gotta put it off. It's gotta get crucified. It's, He's given you a new nature. Your old nature is just not gonna get renewed. He gets crucified. You gotta put it off. You gotta take it away. But he's put a new nature in you by the Holy Spirit which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. How do people know that our desires that we have, they lie to us? You ever been on a diet and you just see this delicious donut and you just think if I eat this donut I'm gonna be so comfortable and happy and full. And, and you eat it, and it's just amazing. You enjoy it for like five minutes. It's that sugar high, the taste is in your mouth. And then you just are so angry the next day when you get on the scale, and you have to loosen your belt and fall asleep in church. <laughs> Come on, our deceitfulness of desires. And it says here, it goes on, but... But, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Now notice this, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And notice who's bringing this new righteousness of God, this likeness of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed or marked for the day of redemption or when Jesus comes again. This is not just about being forgiven. It's not just about going to heaven. It's not just about having an eternal ticket guaranteeing me heaven. It's about me being restored and you being restored to the image and the likeness of God. Amen. God is trying to make you like Jesus. Right. 
If, if someone ever comes up to me and says, I don't understand what God's doing in my life, it's real easy, brother, okay? He's trying to make you like Jesus. It is his program. Well, man, I can't understand what he's trying to do with me in the church. He's trying to make you like Jesus. I don't understand what he's trying to do in this circumstance. He's trying to make you like Jesus. You know, it's funny how God tests us. You know, Chris, she, she has to send me around the world and you know, she just tries to get me the best seat possible. So she got me an aisle seat, and she upgraded me. I was like AA, you know, which is right there, right after first class. I had lots of leg room. And there was this twi- these twin sisters. One was a mother, one was an aunt, with two, like, twin four-year-olds that were just bouncing off the wall and wild. And the mother sat, or the aunt sat between me and the other guy in the middle seat, and the four-year-old sat in the middle seat behind. And it, we hadn't even taken off yet, and, and she's kicking and screaming. It's going to be a long four hours to Dallas. And the guy sitting right behind me on, the, on 9A, the aisle, he you know, taps me and goes, hey, man, why don't you just give uh, the little girl your seat? I'm thinking, why don't you give the mom your seat? But, you know, it's public. Everyone's watching me. <laughs> I paid for this seat. It's going to be a horrible ride. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking hey, way to volunteer me. And I'm going to have my Bible out, you know, you know <laughs> studying. <laughs> so I had to get up, give mom the seat, and sit in the middle between two big boys for four hours with my iPad. <laughs> then on the way to San Juan from Dallas, I, I got a window seat, but the person sitting next to me was in this season of their life, a large person. <laughs> so I flew all the way to San Juan like this, smashed up against the window. Of course, we had those armrests that go between us. She didn't think that was so smart. She, had, she needed some of my space, so she lifted that armrest up. And, you know, God just knows how to deal with your heart. What's God doing? Trying to make me like Jesus. My, my, my funnest story on that airport, I've had a number of them, Sue can tell you. I remember one time... We left a credit card with Natalie when we went to Thailand, and it was, uh, it was our credit card. She thought it was our debit card. She lost the credit card, so she canceled my debit card. And we, were, we were in Bangkok, and I put some, my, my debit card into the bank machine to get some cash, and it uh, saw a security leak, and uh, it's, it kept my card, and I couldn't lift the thing up. I couldn't get my card out, and we had no money. And I'm talking to the lady behind the window, your machine. Now, if you say it slow and loud, they understand you. Your machine <laughs> ain't my card. You know, Sue's got her tourist book out. Do not raise your voice with Asian people. <laughs> remember, remember trying to get to a youth camp with two of my daughters and Sue, and they canceled our flight. They they trolley back, this plane's not going anywhere, and I couldn't get out of town. I had to be in South Carolina the next day, and, and so I was giving a piece of my mind to the, to the, the ticket person. You know, I got to be there. You got to get a, get a plane out, get us to Seattle. We got to go, all right? You, you know who I am? <laughs> you know, and I kind of, they were trying to pacify me, and I got done doing the authority thing, so I really pushed them around. 
And this kid walks up to me, are you Bob McGregor? <laughs> yeah. You know, I came to your youth ministry once. I got to hear you preach. <clears throat> oh, that's good. He wants to restore us to the image of God, right? So the next time someone says, I don't know what God's doing in my life, you just tell him he's trying to make you like Jesus. And then he wants to do this to the whole human race. He wants to restore the lost human race. We know this. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him he might, that might be saved through him. Come on. That he might create in himself, the apostle Paul said, Created himself one new man. That's the new image, image like Jesus, in place of the two. Now, in those days, the two was this, the Jewish race and everybody else, the Gentiles. God wants a whole human race to reflect the nature of God like Jesus, whether you're Jew or you're Thai or you're Latino or you're African. He wants us to reflect his image. Different cultures, different dance, different foods, Okay, different sounds. I've been, I've been in Puerto Rican worship for three days. I mean, it's just a little bit different. This seemed very, very mellow to me today. I'm coming down off of a Hispanic high, you know. <laughs> Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we all come to know God intimately in Jesus, that we might know him. To mature manhood or to maturity, what's that? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God wants all of us to grow up. You know, I, we had four kids, lots of parents here. One of the greatest transitions in parenting was the day my kids could all cut their own food. <laughs> I mean, we had arrived. When I didn't have to cut another pancake, I didn't have to cut another piece of meat, and, they, and I just noticed they were all, I remember we were in a restaurant, they were all just cutting their food, and I have arrived. <laughs> I'm living the dream now. Hey, real quick, Holy Spirit does this eight ways. I'm going to fly through this and band, get ready to come on up here, hopefully. All right, here we go. How does he do this? Well, first he does this. He brings the presence of heaven. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 through 6, it says that, that we were enlightened. We had tasted the heavenly gift we had shared in the Holy Spirit and we tasted the goodness of the word of God and we tasted the powers of the ages to come. What are the powers of the ages to come? It's heaven now. It's not like, oh, I wonder what heaven's like. Well, you may not completely know what heaven's like, but you're tasting heaven now. So you're not gonna be a total stranger to heaven when you get there. Oh, so that's what Jesus is like. That's what it's like when we love each other. Now, we should be loving each other now, and we should be understanding what Jesus is like now. So you're not going to be like shocked, like, wow. Well, I've actually heard, I've actually heard testimonies of people who have had out-of-body experiences when, and death experiences, what do you call the near-death experiences, NEDs or near-NDEs. Okay, I get the right, right letters in the right place. But they describe worship. You know what they, what they come back? They describe like a good Holy Ghost worship service, what they're describing. They're, they're, they're describing a type of worship that you know and understand and been involved in. Come on. We're seeing heaven now. It doesn't matter how it comes, whether a healing or a revelation or people getting saved. Forms. You know, man, we just get to taste heaven. We get to taste heaven. He transforms. 
He transforms us. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to make you dig in your Bible a bit or take your smartphone and you know, your U version, your olive Bible, or whatever you got, just pop up 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says this. And, and we all, now notice, he didn't say just Paul and some special elite uh, apostles. He said we, from the greatest to the least, we all, with unveiled faces. Now, what's he saying, this unveiled face? I think it's important that we just don't read the Bible, that we actually read it and understand it. Do you think that's a good idea? I mean, man, Bob, devotions was good today. What'd you read? The Bible. (laughs) Well, what did it say? Well, it said this. What's that mean to you? I don't know. It's just good. I just got goosebumps when I was reading it. It was good. We need to understand it. He's, he's, He's... He's making a comparison here between a glory in the Old Testament that, was, that passed away. And in this case, it was a glory that was shining off of Moses' face when he came off the mountain. And so the people couldn't look on him because he had a veil over his face because he was glowing. But when Moses went into the, temp, the temple, or the tent where God was hanging out in Exodus 34, he would take the veil off. And Paul is saying, we don't have to have a veil We can now talk to God. We all can talk to God face to face. Jesus has made it possible for God to come to us and for us to come to him. And we are unveiled faces reflecting, I'm reading out of the NET here, reflecting the glory of the Lord. Reflecting or reflecting upon the glory of the Lord. Who's What's the glory of the Lord? Well, the the glory of the Lord is Jesus. We beheld his glory. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, who was the image of God. We reflect upon Jesus. And when we reflect upon Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, when I reflect upon Jesus The Holy Spirit transforms me into the very thing I'm reflecting upon. Let me give you an example. Forgive one another. How? Upon the forgiveness, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. So I reflect upon the forgiveness of Jesus, and now I start changing to become a forgiving person. Paul said, I want you guys to become givers. And so to become givers, I want you, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I want you to stop a second, and I want you to remember Jesus, that though he were rich, he became poor, that we who are poor might become rich through him. So I want you to pour yourself out like Jesus. So I reflect upon Jesus, and I become like Jesus. But I can't just do it on my own. I'm going to become like Jesus. The Spirit transforms me. The Spirit transforms me. Come on, he empowers. We know this. We're good people, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And you will receive power when he comes upon you. And uh, come on, he enables us to to minister. He enables us to to go through trials. He enables us to even how to pray. I don't know how to pray as I ought, but the Spirit himself helps me to pray. He gives us his wisdom. He 
He, he gives us his strength. He opens up a heart by doing a miracle. He, he just moves mountains and brings down walls and, and just, he just sets up divine appointments. I'd rather work with Jesus than work for him. I always like it when someone gives me instruction, but they're there doing it with me for a while. I'm not really mechanically inclined, so it helps me a lot when they're down there with me, help me. Come on, we get his power. Come on, he speaks. Come on, he speaks. He told Philip, the Spirit said to Philip, overtake the chariot. The Spirit said to Peter, go down with these guys. Go down with these guys. Don't doubt anything you see. Just, I'm in, I'm in this. Now, the, the whole thing about God speaking to us really lost credibility. And, I, and, and it's lost credibility over the years due to people going to extremes, doing weird things. There was a kid that was a, when we first started the church, I was having a, a speaker come. I won't mention who they were, so I don't want you to judge him because of his kid. I'm sure the kid's balanced out. But, but I had met the kid three days before we, we uh, had the speaker come to our church when we were in Jason Lee Middle School. And uh, the kid wouldn't talk to me. I'd ask him a question. He wouldn't say anything to me. Do you like traveling with your dad? Didn't say anything. You uh, were eating Chinese food. You like Chinese food, huh? Wouldn't say anything to me. And when we drove everybody back, I remember Jude Fuquay was with me. He was just looking at this kid like he's on another planet. The kid wouldn't talk to me at all. And uh, Sue's looking. This kid's kind of weird. And the speaker just acted like this was normal. I'm thinking maybe he's autistic or something like that. And, and, uh, and so I get everybody in the van. And the kid's riding shotgun. And I'm driving the van. And everyone gets out of the van. And I'm left alone with this kid. And he's staring at me. And he won't stop staring at me. He's... So I said, okay, what do you see, bud? And uh, he goes, this is a true story, holy, holy, holy. Okay, at least it wasn't sinful, sinful, sinful. <laughs> and the kid just gets out, and like the masked man just takes off, like Zorro. And uh, so I, was, I had someone pick him up, and I said, listen, the kid's, the, the guy's kid is little weird, so don't get weirded out by the kid, okay? And so the kid comes over to the cafeteria, next, and he comes to me, has like a big smile on his face, and he goes, Pastor McGregor, and he comes up and gives me a big hug, and sorry I didn't talk to you on Friday, the Lord commanded me not to speak in vows. Well, first, that's just weird that God would say, don't speak in vows. I mean, what do you say? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do. That's just kind of weird. But then I said, Sam. It's H-O. O is a vowel. And sometimes Y. Okay, I just say. <laughs> when people do stuff like that, okay, it discredits this whole thing about God speaking. But God speaks to us. Come on, remember, he's restoring us back to face-to-face -to -face relationship. He speaks to us. It's a wonderful thing for God to speak and to guide and to, and to minister to us. What else does he do? He convicts. We know that John 16, 8, when the, Holy, when the helper comes, when the paraclete comes, when the spirit comes, he will convict the world. The word, he'll convict the world of sin. The word convict there in the Greek, where it's he convict the world of sin, comes from a root word, which means to expose, to expose or to show one's fault, to expose us. And so the spirit comes and it exposes us. I know we think we're hot, but when you're reading the Bible and you're seeing Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and 
he, he, he exposes you. And you say, you know, I'm not as hot as I thought I was. And now I got to deal with this. He convicts. Of course, he guides. It's interesting that in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is doing what God told him to do. He's, he's going to go plant churches and preach the gospel in regions of the Eastern Roman Empire at this time. And it says he tried to get into China, but it says the Holy Spirit forbade them, or for, it was forbidden by the Spirit to go in. They tried to get into Bithynia, but the Spirit forbade them from going into Bithynia. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit forbade them, how the Holy Spirit talked with them, but we know that they were hearing the Holy Spirit. You know, <clears throat> how many times have we tried to kick down doors that God was shutting, but we couldn't hear the Holy Spirit that he was shutting that door? And how many doors has God opened to us that we didn't hear him that he's opening a door for us? You know, I was in, um, I was in uh, Puerto Rico with uh, Eric Butler, who's ministered here many times, you know, Eric from New Jersey, and wonderful friend of mine, and, and we were talking for a, for, a, for a while there, back in around 2008, I was, I was getting propped up to, to take on uh, MFI to be the chairman of it, but there, I don't want to get into the story, there was just a lot of stuff that took place that was a real drama for me, and that wasn't fitting, it was heavy. And, uh, and uh, there was a relationship conflict, and there was some drama, and I was dealing with the church here, and we were dealing with a lawsuit on our property, and it was just a heavy time, and, and, uh, and I was having physical problems. I mean, I was wearing the stress of this thing that was just, it was just too heavy to carry. I mean, I had high blood pressure, and I had hives and swelling of the lips and, and, and boils and diarrhea and Peeling of skin off my tongue. I mean, it was. I don't. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> but but Eric was reminding me here a couple of days ago. He said, "Remember, I, I I gave a word to you. The thing that you're trying to carry is too heavy for you. And at the time, I think it was too heavy for me." And uh, I had to see that God was shutting this door, and I had to make a decision. I'm, I'm working uphill against something that's not God. And I had to make a, a decision. It was painful for me because of the endearment I had to the people who wanted me to take it. But I, I just knew that the Holy Spirit was not allowing me to do this. We've got to be guided by the Spirit of God. We've got to know when he's shutting doors and when he's opening doors. And of course, he also imparts spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 and 11, it says, all these, all these manifestations of the Spirit, Paul listed, are empowered by one and the same Spirit. It doesn't matter if someone can raise someone from the dead or someone just has the word of wisdom for something. They're both empowered by the same Spirit. They're both Holy Spirit manifestations. But if I was raising the dead and everybody's getting out of wheelchairs, I'd pack the, I'd pack the Moda Center. If it was just a conference on the word of wisdom, I probably wouldn't I'd get about 100 people interested in the subject. We tend to classify things, but God wants to, to move. And then, and then of course, it's just, we know that the gifts of the Spirit are resident in the Holy Spirit. We all have the Holy Spirit in us. So I can tap into anything I need as a believer from the Holy Spirit if I need it. You know, I'm out there in public, I'm over at Baja Fresh, and someone needs a healing, 
I, I, well, I don't feel I have the gift of healing, so I'm going to call Ben. Ben, get over here to pray for the sick. No, no, you're the candidate to be used by the Holy Spirit. You tap into the Holy Spirit. But we got to admit that people have a grace or a ministry in certain areas that other people don't have. I mean, I, I love to share my faith, and I love to get people saved, and I've led people one-on-one to Christ, and I've done altar calls, people got saved, but I'm not an evangelist. Now, I could become smarter culturally in these things, and I try to do that, but still, there's just people who are evangelists. Pastor Matt here has got an evangelistic mantle on him. They've seen hundreds and hundreds of people saved in Tri-Cities. Now, some of it's an incredible strategy, uh, but there's a gift grace on him. Uh, J.O. has an incredible gift grace on them, and it, it makes me sick. <laughs> my, my son-in-law, Chad. I mean, Chad, if I'm with Chad anywhere, everybody loves him in like seconds, we walk in an In-N-Out burger. Oh, where you're wonderful. He's got everybody eating out of his hand, and he's just wonderful. And hey, and hey. <laughs> and they all come and get saved. They just think he's the most wonderful pastor in the world, and he's, he's hiding out in the green room. But he's just got a gift. He's just got a gift. And he just, he just talks, and everyone gets saved. <laughs> you see, Bob, how do I know how God wants to use me? Well, first, it'll be something that's in your heart. It'll be something you enjoy. And it'll be something, when you do it, <laughs> it'll be easy to, for you, and it'll produce something. So I'll leave people with Jesus because I'm a believer, but not because my number one predominant gift is a gift of an evangelist. We had Chris Donald here a few weeks ago. Man, what an evangelist. He's like, he just, he got someone saved right after church in a parking lot the restaurant I took him to. I walk over there and his friend was over to lead a guy to Christ. He goes, right now, he's leading that guy to Jesus. <laughs> well, I would like to try to get you fed. Okay, we try to got to eat. But he was just excited. I mean, he was just leading people to Jesus just like that. He wasn't just talking about it. He was doing it all day when he was here. But there's a gift in Chris. There's, just, there's a grace moving through him. And so we need to understand that. The Spirit does this. And then, of course, the Spirit teaches. In 1 John 2, 26 and 27, there's a famous scripture. It says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so people have taken that. I don't need anybody to teach me. But you've got you to gotta look at this in context. John's epistle is about really warning against false teachers and false doctrine. And these people that he's saying, you've, you've, you've been touched by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. And you have been taught by hearing the Bible. Now, in those days, they didn't have, like, this is the New English translation. They didn't have from what publishing company compact edition, www.bible.org, all right? They didn't have these. They may have had maybe one set of scrolls per church. They went to public hearings. That's why Paul told Timothy, give attention to the public reading of the Bible. And so they heard the Bible. Then they heard the Bible taught by teachers. But the issue is it wasn't just the teachers, the fact that they had the Holy Spirit too. They had been around the real thing. 
And so you've been around the real thing, and the Holy Spirit's ministering to you. You might not be a scholar, but you know the nature and the spirit and the nuts and bolts of this thing where you can smell when it's off. Smell. You know, it's so interesting to people come to you, Bob, what do you, what do you hear from this guy? You know, I heard this. And they, you know what? They can't describe exactly why they know it's wrong, but when they start sharing with me, I know why it's wrong. But they're discerning it. They know enough, and the Holy Spirit's in them to know this doesn't sound right. So we are people of the Holy Spirit. And what he wants to do is he wants to restore us back to -to face-to-face relationship. He wants to restore his presence back in our life. He wants to restore us to become like Jesus. And he wants us to take that to the world that they would experience the same thing. And he wants to have a people where he hangs out with and reflects him to be with him forever. There's the Bible, folks. I just gave you Genesis to Revelation. Okay, we don't have to, every verse, no, but that's the Bible. And that's what this thing's all about. Let's stand to our feet. Worship team, why don't you come on up here?